Welcome to In Your Area. Today's episode features a detailed conversation around accounting best practices and tips for your business as we head toward tax season. Val LaFerrier of Royal LePage Solutions chats with Chris Russell, a partner at Baker Tilly Kenmore LLP, and they are joined by area senior professional development advisor Michelle Perot. As an accountant, Chris has assisted realtors throughout her career, and in this episode, she shares helpful tips for managing your books at tax time, what to consider before submitting client gifts for tax rebates, and the importance of understanding your cycle of business when building a budget. We hope you enjoy. Hi, I'm Val LaFerriere, a realtor. I'm sitting here with Chris Russell, the accountant with Baker Tilly. My first question is, what are the pros and cons of incorporating versus sole proprietorship? Yeah, hi Val. Um, I've been a partner at Baker Tilly for about, I think, 12 years. Um, So it's a question that we get a lot. And it really comes down to the perspective of how much money the realtor is earning versus how much they need for their lifestyle. The primary positive or pro of a corporation is tax deferral. So if you're generating more revenue or earnings than you need to live on, having it in a corporation that that the income is actively earned gets a much cheaper tax rate than the individual. So that's the primary driver why a lot of people end up incorporating. The largest downside of a corporation is it's it's a whole other entity. It is a taxpayer in and of itself. And with that means it takes time for the practitioner or the realtor to maintain that in keeping books and records and it and it really costs additional funds because you're going to engage a professional accountant um, in order to maintain the tax filings or the GST filings that come with that. If you have any employees there would be you know um, payroll obligations to keep up on and then as well just having a lawyer sort of as counsel to do the annual filings to keep that corporation alive. Mm -hmm. So primarily it's an additional time and cost for a corporation, but can be greatly to one's benefit if they're generating an income level that is in excess of their lifestyle means. Correct. Well, that was an excellent explanation because no one's ever explained it to me that way before. I am incorporated and I have found it beneficial to have my business as a separate entity from our household income and from me personally. Um, It just operates, the the day-to-day business operations run more smoothly as a corporation, I find. So, thank you. You're welcome. My next question, what are the requirements for claiming vehicle expenses and how is the best way to claim your vehicle, a lease versus buying? And is there any tax relief from the carbon tax or using an electric vehicle? Well, I'll address the last question with the answer of I don't know. We haven't encountered that yet at my firm in regards to um, carbon tax or electric vehicles. Um, With respect to how someone goes about um, claiming a vehicle, again, somewhat depends on whether that vehicle is within a corporation or they have a corporation um, or they end up being a sole proprietor. With a sole proprietor, they need to have a statement of employment expenses from their employer or their brokerage in order to say that they have been required to incur these costs and they don't get reimbursed for them. That's the primary mechanism that allows them on their tax return to claim the proportionate amount of expenses. That 
invariably means the, the realtor needs to be tracking all of the expenses for the whole year, regardless whether they're for the work-related uh, time periods or personal. And they're also to keep a, a logbook to be able to demonstrate what is personal versus business kilometers. And that proportion of time or use is then what drives that deduction. And that applies whether you own a vehicle or lease. Similarly, in a corporation, the, the issue gets a bit more complex because when you have a vehicle in a company and it's available for a person to use, it can trigger or it does trigger then a taxable benefit that has to be calculated. It's called a standby charge and operating benefit. And so that requires tracking the same thing, kilometers um, from personal and total business use and determining what that benefit is. So there is an analysis that really an accountant should do for you know any incorporated realtor to know whether that's a benefit to them because it will be um, influenced as to whether they use the vehicle um, more than 50% for business, more than 90% because that can alter how that benefit is calculated. Um, when it's in the corporation, it's a real positive if the benefit isn't going to be too costly each year because then the corporation is responsible for all operating costs, all lease costs, all financing if the vehicle has been purchased. But what can happen is sometimes people will invariably buy a more luxurious car and depending on how long they decide to keep that vehicle, that standby charge uh, taxable benefit ends up being calculated on the original cost of the vehicle even if it ends up being 20 years old down the down the line mm -hmm. so you know it, it's a very unique thing for one realtor to another depending on their personal circumstances when they have a corporation um, as to whether it's to their benefit with respect to buying and leasing vehicles that really comes down to from an accountant's perspective is always cash flow is it a good cash flow decision and that is going to be determinant based on how long do I t intend to keep the vehicle What's the purchase price of the vehicle versus leasing costs and then ultimately a buyout at the end of the day if the person intends to buy it out. So there's no sort of really set answer. It's very sort of situational specific. Now, do accountants have a preferred way that we are logging our mileage and keeping track of our automotive expenses well, there's, or gas? You know, we see that request come a lot from Canada Revenue Agency when they are auditing realtors or any sort of business owner. Many owners don't often keep a logbook religiously like the government would like. And so they will look to the taxpayer to be able to provide some sort of estimate or methodology to how they were able to track their business versus um, personal kilometers. I mean, there are apps out there, there's physical logbooks that you can track um, the information in. So as an accountant, I always look at the client and I say to them, you track it however it's easiest and most efficient for you. One of the biggest misnomers that we find with tracking kilometers is that people will consider travel from their home to their brokerage office or, or the like as business kilometers. but. In reality, with the government, traveling to your regular place of business or work is not considered business kilometers. So that often is, is something that is a, an error or a mistake as to really what constitutes um, business use.
Oh, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Well, I'm based out of my home. So every time I get in the car, it's usually for business mileage. Yes, there you go. Now, realtors are always trying to maximize their tax deductions. What are some of the tax-reducing opportunities that we might be missing out on or overlook? What are some things that we are not allowed to write off? A general comment I will make to any client, realtor or otherwise, is I will say to them, look, consider the cost that you've incurred, and if you feel that that was in the nature of a business transaction, Um, or the prospect of a business transaction, then I think you need to consider it and include it in your records as a cost. Again, with realtors that are unincorporated and they have statement of employment expense schedule that they can deduct these costs on, there's sort of fairly set categories that the government sort of outlines there where things can fall into, but there's always a good other category where things that don't fall into a box could, could go into. And with respect to anybody incorporated, then that opens the window a bit more in regards to it can be whatever is an appropriate deduction for the fact that you were out there, again, for a business transaction or the prospects of a business transaction. That's how, you know, that's certainly how I view it with clients. I think sometimes, depending on the nature of, again, the taxpayer, they can either be quite conservative and they don't want to you know, expose themselves to any risk if there should be an audit, and then others that are quite aggressive. Some of the things that we see that people deduct that, you know, they shouldn't be deducting would be, let's say, clothing. Obviously, as realtors, you like to present yourself very well um, and and either, you know, dress in a nice suit um, or, you know, a nice dress. And those types of costs really aren't um, deemed to be deductible from the government's perspective. Uh, We also see uh, deductions for, let's say, fitness uh, or club memberships or season's tickets sometimes to sporting events, and those types of costs aren't deductible. You know, we also chatted about the kilometers, people traveling to and from their regular place of business. Those are some of the more common, common ones that we see that really shouldn't be deducted, but that sometimes try to be put through the records. Well, I would have thought, I hadn't thought of purchasing season's tickets, but I would have thought season's tickets to something would be deductible if you're gifting them to your clients most of the time. And and there is an exception if you can provide appropriate documentation of its promotional nature, yes. So, you know, what would constitute that, that appropriate documentation? You know, perhaps if you bought the season's tickets and you gave it to a very, you know, top A-list client, that sort of thing, and sent a letter with it to say, you know, here client, um, I appreciate your business over the years, I'm providing you with season tickets to the Stampeders this year, then in that case, yes. But if it's season's tickets where you're getting a benefit yourself, uh, then that is looked at as not a a deductible business cost. So what about the case of, I know there's a lot of realtors that have golf course memberships and their golf clubs and their work in that golf club for clients and they do a lot of business at that golf club. Are they writing off a portion, all of, or not at all, or the membership but not the clubs? So technically with golf in specific, it is a non-deductible cost. So it's not looked at as a deductible expense for golf membership fees Um, it's yeah an interesting I guess situation to be in because yeah it is a very common place to to do business Mm -hmm. 
but golf fees and that um, and the like are, are not actually deductible. Okay. Would that extend to other sports like curling or? Good question. Because I, there's I, a lot of these little Calgary clubs, these little alcoves of like-minded personalities that would trust somebody from their inner circle to do their real estate transaction. Yeah, I don't have the legislation top of mind to, uh, <laughs> to necessarily say if there's a whole bunch of explicit items listed there, um, but golf is a very common one that, that is sort of yeah, top of mind. That, that's probably now getting penalized. Maybe people over claimed it. Potentially, yeah. <laughs> the history behind it, who knows? But yeah. yeah, yeah, I get that. It might just be a good opportunity as well for a realtor to take pause before purchasing something like that and maybe have a conversation with their accountant to dig into it deeper, right, that specific situation. Yeah, that's that's totally fair. It's really a matter of, you know, with, with costs that they might be incurring or any sort of transaction, especially when you do have a corporation that you're contemplating, you know, should I do this, should I do that? Um, it would be a great opportunity to talk to the accountant and make sure you're understanding what the implications are before you um, get into it because we as accountants often will get things as an after the fact and we can tidy it up and deal with it. However, it ends up having potentially negative connotation or implications to a taxpayer that they didn't realize that's then very disheartening as an after the fact event. Mm-hmm. Right. So having that conversation ahead of time will potentially save some some later concern. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Okay. What are some of the better bookkeeping methods or software for realtors who want to do their bookkeeping themselves? Yeah, that is really going to depend on the motivation of the individual and how accounting-minded they are. There are some realtor clients or even uh, consulting clients that I deal with that they just want to deal with a simple spreadsheet. This is the revenue I had come in. These are my expenses in the various categories, and they hand it over. With the technology that we're seeing these days, our office in particular, our firm is a big proponent of QuickBooks Online. Mm -hmm. It has some real benefits of constant online access to your accountant so that if you're doing your record keeping yourself, you can always have them do a little health check-in every month or every quarter to say, is everything looking good? You know, is there anything I need to change or any questions you have? Especially with the with the apps, that would be an add-on to QuickBooks Online that can be integrated. That can prove to be very helpful as well for being able to take a, a, a photograph of a receipt and then all of those digitized receipts end up being built right into QuickBooks Online directly. So then that data file becomes your one-stop shop of supporting your results or your operations for your fiscal period. There is also the aspect of being able to connect your bank accounts, your credit card accounts, that sort of thing, to QuickBooks Online so that it will auto-download transactions for you. You can also set up rules, which with the help of your accountant, if you did at the outset, especially if there's a regular pattern to what any sort of business operator does for their, for their business, then they can set up these rules that allow the transactions to generally auto-populate and auto-record to the categories that then makes it much more sort of clean, concise records with less error rate, as well as being a lot less labor-intensive for the actual realtor that you know should be going out there doing what they do best, which is showing real estate, selling real estate, versus 
you know, labor-intensive accounting, you know, practices. I worry about the accuracy. Like, I do worry about errors in some of those take-the-pictures ones. Um, the other thing is um, I worry about the security. I think we're increasingly relying on technology, and sometimes I kind of get a little concerned that I'm putting information out there into space that may not be as secure as I like, or what if I switch accountant firms and that kind of stuff. So I tend to micromanage, and I probably shouldn't, especially when it comes to something as important as accounting. But um, what other options other than QuickBooks are there for maybe someone who's a little bit more dinosaur like me? Well, there's, I mean, any sort of accounting program, like even QuickBooks, comes with a desktop version. So if you want it on your laptop, then you can utilize it in that way and still have a lot of the functionality of auto-download of your bank transactions to make it easy. You can share that data file with your account, whether it's on a USB stick or secure electronic portal files um, in the cloud where it can be encrypted and and password protected and, and that sort of thing. So there's lots of different kinds of accounting programs to select from. So it really becomes a matter of user preference on the interface and what makes sense to that individual of how they understand for the transactions to go in. And again, I mean, short of an accounting program of some sort or some sort of financial tracking tool like that, software tool, then it's it's good old spreadsheet. And if some people don't even want to do a spreadsheet, then they will give me a whole box of records <laughs> categorized, you know, with with the receipts based on either per month or per category. And they have simply tallied it up. And then I take that number and I put it into their tax return. Um, or I'm guilty of doing that, I will not? say. And that is, that is a complete fair method to tracking your operations. So mm-hmm. it's what works best and is most um, straightforward for and efficient for the practitioner and, and the accountant, right? It's, a, it's about what works for the, for the two parties to make sure you're getting good records for your tax reportings. And still covering your butt for if you get an audit or one of those assessment notices from CRA, I, I always feel like you have to have something tangible. I think that's the other thing, and, and for seven years. Yeah, for sure. It, it really is a matter of, and we're seeing more and more inquiries from Canada Revenue Agency across the board with taxpayers, um, especially moving to more technology and now electron, like accountants have to electronically file their, their clients' tax returns. The amount of information that the government gets ends up actually being quite sparse. So it will invariably lead to what we call a desk audit. It's a letter that shows up to the taxpayer to say, we're now reviewing this amount on your tax return. Please send us the information. So, you know, it hasn't gotten away from the good old days, which is you need to have all your receipts, Mm -hmm. whether it's electronic email receipts, which many organizations you know, provide now when you've purchased something or dealing with online transactions to your restaurant credit card and the underlying chit of, you know, what you ordered at the restaurant with your client, for example. Okay. Yeah, I do keep both those receipts. So even if you take a picture of them, you still have to keep that piece of paper. No, if if you have a photographic record of that credit card receipt and then the underlying receipt and that forms a part of your records that... Um, you have either, again, integrated into a software or you digitize yourself in some way to keep track of, as long as you've got the support to demonstrate that, 
it doesn't matter whether it's a physical piece of paper or a digital copy of that. Oh, okay, good. That's good to know. So the general message here could be have a system. Whatever the system is, just have a system. Just have a system and have the support. Um, right. And, and with the government, they're, they're leading more on the technology as well. So when we get a lot of these desk audits for, I, I just recently had one for a realtor, you know, we had to assemble hundreds of pages of data, but it was digitized. And then we actually submit it digitally to the government as well. Okay. Yeah. Well, on the same topic of technology, technology is changing rapidly these days. How often can a realtor update or replace their technology, such as their phone, tablets, or computer? And is there a dollar value where it becomes capitalized equipment versus an expense? With respect to how frequently they can update or replace, it's really... 100% up to the realtor. If you wanted to replace it every year, you could replace it every year. There's no time frame on that. It's just making sure the transactions are treated appropriately. So going to the, the second half of the, the question, whether something is a capital item or a current expense, it's a bit of a, a myth or a misconception of it's a set dollar value. Some of that, I think, comes from tradespeople. They have... I guess an exclusion for small tools that when those small tools are under 200 and now it increased a number of years ago to $500 if it's under that threshold then it gets to be written off 100% in the year acquired. So I think a lot of people have sort of by happenstance then taken that as a guideline for anything which isn't actually true. Probably the most overarching question to ask yourself to know whether it's a capital item or, or an expense is does this have an enduring benefit or life? And even though cell phones are something that are pretty rapidly changing, it does still have an enduring life. I'd say almost in all cases, those things are capital because they can last anywhere from, you know, truly with the extent of rather than replacing it for your own desire to have the latest and greatest technology, those have an enduring life. They can last multiple years. And so those are capital in nature. So when you want to cycle through them, however frequently that is, and we'll take an iPad, for example, you hand in your old iPad to Apple for a trade-in value, or you sell it to your friend for $300, you just have to be able to treat that transaction appropriately that you received proceeds on your business asset of $300, and that can result in some tax implications possibly with that disposal and then you record the acquisition of the new asset. What are some of the home office expenses realtors can expense on their taxes? With a realtor that is a sole proprietor and again has the statement of employment expenses, it is almost all costs that any typical home office calculation does include. So it's your, your, your gas, your electricity, your water, um, most likely internet charges, repairs and maintenance, property taxes, uh, rent if you don't own your own uh, property, um, insurance. The one differential with a statement of employment expenses is that you don't have the ability to deduct mortgage interest. Where if you have a corporation or you were a, a um, full entrepreneur and did what's called a statement of business activity on your personal tax return, then that is actually a large cost that goes into the calculation of home office is mortgage interest. But again, not for a realtor who is 
commission-based under a brokerage that is doing a statement of employment expense schedule, they unfortunately don't get to deduct that. Realtors are also business owners. What are some simple business formulas and practices to help in maintaining cash flow, avoid overspending on marketing, surviving the highs and lows of commission income, and plan for retirement? And I know you did mention cash flow, and I know that's key. (laughs) Cash flow is always key. Um, Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of of things there in, in that to address. I think the largest or single most important thing is to understand your cycle. Any business owner, especially who's been in the practice for quite some time, will understand generally their cycle to the market, um, understanding their their highs and lows. It's not 100% predictable, but you know that there's a certain amount of cost expenditure when you're having a low time period um, with realty transactions that you're still going to spend a certain amount on marketing you're still going to spend a certain amount on client promotion or entertainment. So I think the thing to do is is ultimately, I'm sure every accountant would, would agree, it's, it's good to have a budget, right? You need mm-hmm. to have an understanding of what those costs are, being able to take in the high periods and making sure you have some reserves of cash flow to be able to see those low cycle months or if it ends up being a low cycle year that you've got the cash flow to be able to to fund those business operations so that you don't end up in a circumstance especially if you also have a corporation seeing the amount of money in the corporate bank account and going well okay I can go buy that new car or I can go buy you know whatever the case might be without realizing or keeping that reserve to be able to see yourself through that low time period for your business cost to keep marketing yourself to keep you know generating that future potential down the road for for revenue so that that's a big part of it is budgeting yourself and knowing where where you need to be and 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 that reserve to have on hand is a big part of it i mean you could probably speak to it better in regards to the marketing aspect with overspending is I would imagine that realtors probably have an idea of kind of the realization rate of, well, this is how much I usually spend in marketing and this is my realization rate on that of what actually transpires in in revenue. And so again, keeping that realization rate in mind, especially when marketing is such a high cost area for realtors, is then giving yourself a budget based on that realization rate and being mindful of that to, to kind of keep within the parameters of of where your cash flow is is at for retirement that's that's a big question <laughs> <laughs> so the real important factor is a matter of understanding at what age do you want to retire what does retirement look like for you in regards to again the lifestyle that one wants to lead and it all comes down to two numbers so if you have a framework of this is the kind of lifestyle I know I'm going to want to lead, these are the kind of the costs that I'm expecting I would incur for that lifestyle, you balance that cash outflow you would have in your retirement years against what cash inflow you know you might have, let's say CPP benefits, or somebody might have old age security um, at you know the age of 65 or 67. And 
that will sort of dictate what kind of cash deficiency you have for your retirement years that you know you need to to have set aside by the time you hit that point. And that almost becomes your your first goal or marker of this is what I need to try to achieve by that age. And from there, it's it's working backwards and going, well, then I have this many years to try to achieve that goal with an implied rate of return on any net worth or, or excess revenue that I can leave behind in my company or in my savings account or my RSPs or investments. And, and that becomes your target for either each year or you know, every period based, depending on, on the cycle of, of highs and lows in, in, I guess, the real estate market of how much I need to set aside during my income producing years to try to hit that goal. And, you know, the, the aspect of having that plan, though, has to come with the idea of it is a flexible plan because the only, only constant in life is that things are changing. And there will be something that invariably happens in one's life that doesn't go according to plan. And so you just need to keep reevaluating it and going, am I hitting, hitting my target? Um, you know, can I reduce my target now because of other factors that have occurred in my life? You know, it's, it's again, all comes down to budgeting of money in, money out, and how much money do I need to have to be prepared for that day when I want to, you know, go into retirement or semi-retirement. And what are the options for the money that's still sitting in your corporate account or accounts? Yeah, when you have a corporation and hopefully you have had that benefit of tax deferral because you're earning more money than you need for your lifestyle, I always equate a corporation as it's like a version of an RSP. That's what you get to do. You get to build wealth at a lower tax rate over the period of your career. And so when you decide that your career is done, you, you still have that corporation. Just because you're not practicing realty anymore doesn't is irrelevant. So that corporation still exists there for you to then plan with your accountant and financial advisors how to take the money out in the most tax-advantaged strategic way. And that is, again, going to be predicated based on your lifestyle, when you want to pull out money, how much. Um, and doing that in a combination of ways, you know, as any taxpayer might have that has a corporation, they might also have personal RSPs. They might have, you know, besides those registered retirement savings plans, they'll have the, the TFSA, the tax-free savings accounts. So it's, you know, a good mind for you to work with your financial advisor, particularly your accountant, to look at your levels of income personally that depending on how much money you want to have for semi-retirement or retirement, and coming up with a plan of where those sources come from. So at TFSA, obviously, when you pull money out, there's no tax implications to that. With an RSP, there is. It comes into a person's income as just general income, taxed at the appropriate rate. But if you have money in a corporation and you pull it out, it can be treated a couple of ways, but most commonly as dividends. Mm -hmm. And dividends uh, to an individual are a cheaper tax rate than when you pull a salary from a corporation. <coughs> so it's balancing all the, the sources, but then keeping that corporation alive as long as it makes sense for that individual 
and to draw that money out over the appropriate period of time in the most tax advantageous way. As we approach retirement, what succession planning should realtors consider? So you did talk quite a bit about that. And ultimately, how do they handle decommissioning their equipment, office furniture, supplies, and their business clientele? As a sole proprietor, there's a little bit less to, to consider, perhaps. With any, and this applies for a corporation as well, any equipment or that sort of thing that has any residual fair market value. If the person is stopping their operations and no longer needs it for the use of the corporation or for them in any sort of business use capacity, the asset needs to be disposed of to the individual um, at fair market value. And, and similarly, like we talked about when the realtor would replace their their iPad or their cell phone, Mm -hmm. that transaction just needs to be treated for tax appropriately based on whatever those proceeds or implied proceeds are for the fair market value of those pieces of equipment or furniture or that kind of thing. With clientele, you know, if there is a person um, or a party that's willing to buy that client list, from the realtor, then that will be also uh, treated as a, as a tax event in regards to business income. Um, and whether that's in a corporation or not, it's treated as other income and taxed accordingly. So with a corporation, there becomes a, a few more sort of complex issues as to other tax balances that may generate that could have some planning opportunities but probably kind of goes outside the scope of our discussion today. Um, but with a proprietor, it's it'll be a taxable income event that they deal with on that return in the year that they've sold their client list, and um, and then that's that's the the end of it. Then it's the beach. Then it's the beach. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Chris. I have a lot more accounting literacy than I did before. You're most welcome. I have a question, if you don't mind. I'd like to give our listeners a really tangible action to take forward um, from the conversation. And a thought that came up is really, and this was a thread that that sort of um, was strung throughout all of the questions, is to go out and understand your income. Go out and understand your, your, um, your fixed costs, your variable costs. Um, really break it down to recognize what you have to spend, um, what's the return on your investment, and really just get a good picture of where you're sitting and have that conversation with your accountant to plan, right? Because we are working towards a goal, um, whether it's long-term or short-term, and making sure we have a plan in place to achieve that and little milestones along the way to check in to see if we are on that road is, is what I would assume is a good approach. Yeah, it is a good approach. I mean, it's not just involving your accountant. Uh, sure. Depending on your 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 investment level, it, it would involve your financial advisor, your investment advisor. So, I mean, certainly our firm, myself, I work with a lot of um, investment advisors hand in hand for a client to strategically, you know, pull money or put money in certain places at certain times um, for their for their objectives to be to be reached. Um, I mean, a big part of the corporation aspect that I, I do see, and, and I don't know what uh, impetus or motivation people have to incorporate, but is, is keeping in mind that they, they understand that cycle and that they truly understand why would they incorporate and is it a good idea 
you know, the, the last thing that I want to see, certainly from a tax perspective, is somebody who has a corporation. There is this financial and time commitment to maintain that, but if they're not getting any of the benefits. So if their income level is such that they don't really get to retain anything in the corporation from, from a tax planning, tax deferral um, advantage basis, there is none, and so it, it, it's a shame to incur that extra time and cost um, unnecessarily. So it sometimes is good to make sure you've got an advisor that is going to actually look at where your operations are at and be frank with you to say, you know what, you shouldn't be a corporation in, this, in these circumstances or don't incorporate. You're not there yet. We can do it later um, so that you're not, you know, jumping the gun too early and having this annual cost outlay, which is definitely more expensive than doing a, you know, a larger personal tax return. And, and it's a cost you don't need to incur yet. The other challenge I have found with a corporation is you have this lovely nest egg sitting there and you can't put it in a TFSA. Corporations can't have a TFSA. And you're restricted by how you can invest those corporate dollars. So for the most part, they sit and they don't make as much money as if it would if it had been accumulated under a sole proprietorship where I could direct it to be invested more so like my personal income is. Yeah, and that's something that your accountant would really want to look at and sit down with your specific circumstances, depending on what kind of salary you're drawing out of your company. You know, if you aren't maximizing the TFSA, it might be a matter of depending on what your risk profile is for investing. Is it worth paying some tax on money coming out of the corporation as a dividend to then invest in the TFSA? to get that money out and then put it in a tax-sheltered mechanism. You know, it's another strategy that we do with with clients uh, for maximizing their RSP. They often will have a lot of built-up contribution limit that they haven't utilized personally. If the company has the excess room of cash flow, then we say to them, well, if you have a $30,000 limit left on your RSP, Let's take that out as an additional salary. You don't actually get the money physically, but it will show up as taxable income to you, but you're gonna put it directly into your RSP. It's simply $30,000 in and out on your tax return, so you're not paying any higher level of taxation, but you're utilizing your contribution limit at a no tax consequence right now into a shelter where that growth is protected from taxation for now. And the only, I guess, caveat to that is knowing that although the money is always accessible in an RSP, it's not as accessible as a TFSA because as soon as you pull money out of a retirement savings plan, then you get taxed on it. Correct. Yeah. So, so it's really, you know, it still may be to your advantage depending on your bracket of income and what kind of return you can get in a TFSA to potentially pull money out of the company pay tax on it and get the money in your personal hands and to try to utilize some of those other um, retirement or investment vehicles to their maximum potential. Good point. I think I need to have a conversation with my accountant very soon <laughs> before this year end. The, the biggest thing we, we, we covered it off is making sure you understand your, your cycle, making sure you understand your costs, put yourself on a budget both personally and, and business-wise 
um, to be able to manage your cash flow. I'd be willing to bet if you asked most realtors, they don't have a budget. <laughs> I would agree with you. Yeah, they probably just fly by the seat of their pants. And there's some amazing tools out there. It's actually quite easy to create a budget now. Your online banking has, has a lot of those platforms come with great tools that exactly. visually show you where you're spending. Exactly. Um, so there's a lot out there. People just need to take the time to do it. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, thank you, Val. Pleasure speaking with you. Thank you to Chris, Val, and Michelle for taking the time to share this conversation. We hope to see you the next time we are in your area.